Do you ever feel like your neighbor mowing his yard just has a better life than you? Like things just go better because he's not following the Lord and you, though following the Lord, well, there's a lot of trouble in your life. Hey, Ashef in Psalm 73 thought the exact same thing and what he needed is a perspective change. Isn't it good news seeing the rich and Hey friend, welcome back to the Love Revival Podcast. It's Thursday. Hey, we're in Psalm 73. And I want to walk this psalm because it's one uh, that I go to regularly and it helps me to remember, hey, things aren't always as they appear because I don't know about you, but sometimes it just seems like those who don't believe in God have better lives. Like things just go well for them. Um, If you look on social media, Twitter, uh, if you just read the New York Times, like it just seems like non-believers, they have really slick, great, awesome lives. And maybe you have a coworker who doesn't know the Lord and uh, she's just, she's a rock star and she has everything she wants. And you're like, uh, I've got a husband and kids and I'm not happy and I don't know what's wrong with my life because it seems like her life is so much better. Well, let's walk through Psalm 73 and see if perhaps we just like the writer, maybe we need a perspective change. So the writer says this in verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So we have this truth statement. So the writer knows that God is good, that he's good to Israel. He's good to those who are pure in heart. That's a truth statement, but it's truth. But (laughs) verse two says, but as for me, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's saying, look, I learned in Bible school that God is good. I know that. I repeat that. I truly believe that. But here's the reality. Here's my life. My feet are stumbling. I'm slipping around. And the reason I'm stumbling is I'm envious because everyone around me who's arrogant and doesn't know God, they seem to be prosperous. The wicked around me have everything they want, and I am hopeless. I'm having a really bad day, and it seems like everyone who doesn't follow God has a really good day. And so here the writer is looking at the world and saying, you know, for those who love God, things should go well. For those who don't love God, things should go bad. But it often seems like those who don't love God, things go good. And those who love God, things go bad. So what in the world is going on? If God created the world, why does sometimes being his child, why does it have to be so hard? Why don't we always prosper and have everything we want? Because we look on our social medias and it seems like, well, those who don't know God, that friend from high school who's a complete atheist, he's got a nicer car than us. And he goes on better vacations than we do. And it's like, man, I'm following the Lord. And well, it just seems like all my unbelieving friends have a better time than I do. And that's exactly what this writer is going to say. He's going to say the wicked has all the fun. Verse 4 says this, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. So he's saying, look, when I look at the wicked, it seems like they have no problems. 
Like all the beer commercials, they're always happy. Everything's great. It is a party. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now, in that culture, that means like they are in vogue. Like they're looking good. They are sleek. I mean, everything about them, they are prospering. Verse five, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So the wicked. He said, they don't have any problems. They don't have trouble like the rest of us. They've got plenty of money in their bank account. They have plenty of girls chasing them. They drive the right cars. Like It just seems like the movies that I watch and the culture that I engage in, if you're wicked, your life is just better. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. So this idea of their eyes overswelling with fatness, it means they are prosperous. Their eyes have everything they want. They're looking and they're getting and they are suffering no want. And I have a feeling the writer of this has very skinny eyes because he sees a lot, but he doesn't have anything because, well, the wicked have all the fun. The wicked have everything they want and the righteous do not in his perspective. Verse eight, they scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. So now they are, they're speaking against heaven against God and their tongues are strutting through the earth. In other words, these people think they're great and they're saying they're great and what looks like they are great. Like they have a lot more than this guy. Verse 10, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. So here are these wicked people, they're saying, God, you know, so you almost have the righteous like telling the wicked, hey, you better get straight. You better get your life right. You better not live that way. And the wicked are saying, how can God know? <laughs> like, is does he really know everything? Is he really keeping tabs here? Because we're doing whatever we want and it's working out really, really good. And notice this little line about the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. I mean, that just summarizes So many of your friends that you look at, right? Just life is easy. They're always getting rich. And well, your life is not going well. And it always seems to be really hard. Verse 13, he says this, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So this guy's saying, hey, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to follow the commands. I'm trying to live a godly life. And you know what? It's all in vain. I've kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. I've done what I should. I've done what I thought the Lord wanted me to do. And guess what? Those who are wicked have an easy life. They increase in riches. And I have a hard life. And I'm broke. Some God life. Like I'm following the Lord. And it's all in vain because life is not working out the way I thought it should. Verse 14. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked. Every morning, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of the children. So all day long, I've got problems. I'm getting rebuked. I'm not climbing the ladder at work. I'm getting demoted. Like everything I'm saying, I'm getting in trouble for it. Like things aren't going well. The culture around me is swallowing me whole. 
And it's because I am walking with the Lord. Those who don't walk with the Lord seem to have everything going their way. See, here this writer is dealing with the reality that, man, it seems like the wicked always get their way. It seems like those who do wrong always turn up right. And those who do right always somehow turn up wrong. It seems backwards, right? Like if God made the world, those who follow God should prosper in the world. They should get ahead in the world. Everything should work out with them in this world because they know God, but often it's the opposite. Those who don't know God and who live in ungodly ways are the ones that get ahead in this life, are the ones that are prospering and sleek and fat and get whatever they want. And well, those who are trying to follow God seem to have all the problems. It's harder to be a follower of God. And it seems like that would be the opposite. See, it's hard to make sense of the world, so we have to have a right perspective. And that's what this psalmist is going to encounter. Verse 16 says this, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So he's trying to mull this over. I'm thinking about this. How can this be true? And I just don't get it. I just don't understand why those who don't follow the laws of God do better and those who follow the laws of God do worse. Because I'm a follower of God and I'm doing worse. And my unbelieving friends, the pagan nations, they are doing better. How can this be? He says it's a wearisome task to try to figure it out. And then we have this pivotal verse in Psalm 73. Verse 17 says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, this is going to be a game changer. So right now, he's just looking out at his life and he's saying, you know, it seems like my yard is always unmowed. It seems like my kids are always acting up. It seems like my car is always broke down. It seems like I'm always in a state of depression. And when I look across my driveway, I look at my neighbor, his yard's always mowed. His kids are great. He's got plenty of money. He's sending them all to college and he's not a believer. He doesn't know the Lord. I don't get it. I am being faithful and virtuous and I'm trying hard to follow the Lord. And it seems like I'm getting the short end of the stick. Yet everyone around me who doesn't know the Lord, it seems like they're always getting the long end of the stick. They are always, well, life is working out better. And he says, I can't figure it out. And then he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. So now he's walking into the sanctuary of God. He's going to the presence of God. And it says this, then I discerned their end. Like this is the game changer. Now he takes the world, his problems, their seeming prosperity, and he lengthens the amount of time. And he says, well, let's think about death and then after death. What happens at the end of their life and what happens at the end of my life. And we're going to see that when you look at things through an eternal lens, when you think about eternity, when you think about not just a hundred years, but a billion years, it actually changes the way you believe about what is prosperity, what is the good life and who's getting the short stick and who's getting the long stick. So he's going to say, I went into the sanctuary, I came under the knowledge of God, and then I begin to think about how is their end going to end, and how is my end going to end? And he begins to talk about how their end is going to be. Verse 18 says this, truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. 
how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one wakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and, and, and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So he says, okay, now let's think about their end. They're going to be destroyed in a moment. They're going to be swept away. It's going to be like a bad dream that somebody wakes up from. And then it's going to be terrifying because it's over. And all this was a dream. It wasn't real. And it all vanished in a moment. Their end is going to be a bad end. But we see that God's goodness is still in the midst of a broken world. Even though there's a broken world and it seems like the wicked get their way, God is still good, and he's beginning to see that, and that's what we need to see as well. Verse 23 says this, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll receive me to glory. See how much of a different end that is? Their end is swift destruction, waking up from a bad dream, facing the terror and fury of God. But here... This writer is saying, I'm contending with you, God. You're holding my right hand. Like, even though life doesn't always go well, you are with me. You guide me and counsel me. And afterwards, in other words, when this one dies, God's going to receive him into glory. That is a huge difference in their end. One ends in destruction. One ends in glory. That is a big difference. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now think about the difference in this guy's heart, right? He has just opened up saying, I don't get this world. The wicked have everything they want. I don't have anything and I'm really mad about it. I don't get this. Everything I do right, I just get wrong and everything I do wrong, they just get right and they are prosperous. They are fat. I'm skinny. I'm broke. Life is not fair. And then he walks into the sanctuary of the Lord and he has a perspective change. He sees not just a hundred years, but a billion years. And now he is saying things like, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire before you. Now he doesn't even want those things that the wicked has. He doesn't care that his yard is unmowed and that his kids are a little crazy and he's flat broke and doesn't know how he's going to send them to college. He's like, hey, I only only want you. You are my God. He says in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He said, hey, all these things in this world, they're going to fail and give out. But God, you are my strength and my portion. Verse 27, he says this, for behold, this is kind of a summary of the chapter for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. So those who are far from you, God, the wicked Yeah, it seems like they are prospering, but really they will perish. And you will put an end to all those who are unfaithful. So even though it seems like they have all they want in this world, that is not going to be true in the world to come. 
because you have promised us not to perish, but to have everlasting life for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For us as Christians, it might feel like the world always has a leg up on us. It seems like the arguments in culture, we are always losing. We always sound bad. We always sound on the wrong side of history. It always sounds like we're going to be the losers. But then we go into the sanctuary of the Lord. We go into the presence of the Lord and we think about it for a moment. Well, how's this hundred years going to end? And then what's next? Well, in the billion-year perspective, we don't lose, we win. Those who are last will be first. Those who mourn shall be comforted. That we see that things aren't always as they seem. Verse 28, the writer ends it like this. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works." I mean, what a change of heart. I mean, here at the very beginning of this psalm, he says, I'm envious and I think I'm doing everything in vain. This isn't working. Like, I don't even know where God is. I know that he's good, but it doesn't seem like he's doing a good thing because everyone who does bad gets good and everyone who does good gets bad. It doesn't seem like the world is going the way it should be. And then now at the end of it, he's saying, But for me, it is good to be near God, for I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your work. So he's going from being disgruntled with God and how the world works because all of his wicked friends seems to be doing good and he always seems to be doing bad. But now he's got perspective. He he discerns not just life, but everlasting life. Not just 100 years, but a billion years. And he sees, you know, It's better to be near God. I want to make the Lord my refuge, and I want to tell everybody how great you are because no matter how my life is going, when it seems like I'm getting poverty and they're getting prosperity, it's not the end of the story. Their end is perishing. My end is glory. My billion-year story is going to be better than being a billionaire here because I've got a billion years in eternity with God and then some because it's going to be eternity. And when I end, it's just the beginning. When they end it is the end so friend here's what i want you to see things aren't always as they seem you might be going through some really tough times and it seems like you've been dealt a really bad hand It seems like everything in your life falls apart you are losing things you are not getting things you are well suffering and being persecuted and you're getting fired and different things are happening and you look across the road and you see your neighbor who's not a believer and it seems like everything in his life is perfect. That's what the psalmist is struggling with. It seems like all the unbelievers around me are doing great and it seems like me who's following the Lord, everything is going wrong. Well, if if that's you, my friend, if you're thinking poor, pitiful me because life's not working out how I should think it should go and everyone else is doing great, take a perspective change. Go into that sanctuary moment where you come under who God is. The Yes, God is good. 
And he's not just good today, he's good forever. And if you are in Christ, you don't have a hundred-year story. You have a billion-plus-year story. You have an eternity to live out. And guess what? Your end is different than their end. Their end is perishing. Your end is glory. So no matter what you're going through, don't don't compare and contrast the wicked with the righteous right here, right now, because things aren't always as it seems right here, right now, because there is a forever coming and that forever is ultimately what we want to live with and for. So friend, I hope today on the Love Your Bible podcast, you have loved Psalm 73. It is a good passage to go through when you feel that crux of, you know, it seems like life is not how it should go. Read Psalm 73, go into the sanctuary, go into the presence of God and remember their end and your end. And then my friend, rejoice because our end is good. Well, I hope 73 has helped you love your Bible more because when you love your Bible, you love God, serve people, and live a life that matters.